0: you. <laughs> I want to start off tonight, firstly, by adding my blessing to um, to Mons over uh, Mike and over the Cowans. Um, for us, you know, you get pretty tight. It's a pretty tight knit community, our night church community, and uh, Bernie and Vika and, and and Michael and Bailey. They're really close to our hearts. So we just add, I just want to add my blessing to that as well, guys. Um, yeah. So tonight <clears throat> we're kicking off the last in our series. And uh, I, um, me and Mom were having this because me and Mom are picking up sort of a few of the sermons in the morning as well coming up, and so we were like last week, "Hey, we should swap around and do this." And then Mom saw my scriptures for this week. She's said, "Nah, you can have those ones." So that's just a little foretaste of what you, <laughs> what you're in for tonight. Um, I'm, I'm really stoked. Who's, who's enjoyed the series? It's always a good series, yeah. I I suspect that probably more than half of you have been through a series on the Sermon on the Mount before, and each time, I I know I've probably done about three or four, and each different pastoral team that I've been a part of have uh, taken parts of this and and done it. And it it always gets richer and richer the longer I spend in it. There's nothing boring or old or trite about it. There's something refreshing about it. But it's also, as Mon said, a really challenging part of Scripture, it's something that I think over these last six or eight weeks that you've, you've probably felt something like God just put his finger on something through this and you've just gone, Ooh, that's, a little, that's a little close to the skin. That's a little close to the skin. That is the purpose, I think. You see, it's right at the start of Jesus' ministry. And he, he's, it, this is before he's been through any of this stuff. It, it's right there, Matthew captures it. Um, and, and for us to, the, to get this base of what he is all about, I think, makes sense of the rest of the Gospels. And so uh, we've, been, we've been enjoying different people. I'm really stoked to have such an amazing group of people who have been leading us uh, during this time. Um, these three chapters are about the real lived experience of Christian faith. It's the real lived experience of Christian faith. We've been talking each week about the different sort of, you know, I mean, I was thinking about Wendy's one where she had murder and oaths and and then just all of these different things that come through uh, challenge us in different ways. You think, that wasn't going to challenge me, but it did. And it's because these are at the very heart of the gospel experience. There's some values and some ideals that seem to us to be too good. And 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 too distinct from our reality. A, that's why it's so poignant to us. Um, and I kicked off this series by talking about this. The, the emphasis of the Sermon on the Mount has uh, two key things at its heart: God and His worship of God, and people and relationship. And this is you, you'll see if you go back and listen to all of those sermons that they play a really big part of um, of the series. There's this radical and profound way of life that we read and hear in this, um, but we see very genuinely, uh, very rarely, genuinely lived out among us. Um, and when we see it, it's like astonishing. We see it in others. We're like, man, that's. People talk a big game about being a Christian. And there's very few people I go, that person there is the Sermon on the Mount personified. How many of you know anyone like that? Yeah, one or two, one or two. There's, there's one or two people in your life who you go, wow, they are living this. And as we've heard, we're not called to aspire to these, to these teachings. We're not called to go, oh, that's really nice. You know, that, that makes me feel better about being a Christian. No, 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 no. What we've heard over and over in the series is you have to live it. This is a lived reality. It's something that we've brought to you in the hope that you would engage with it, you would wrestle with it, you would apply it to your own life. Not that any other preaching doesn't do that, but the Sermon on the Mount calls that out of us. And as we've journeyed, we've, we've found along the way, I, I think some, something of a breadcrumb trail of, of the way in which Jesus is calling us to live. And uh, I want to encourage you tonight. This is, there's going to be some uncomfortable truths again about our faith journey that we can't escape or ignore. Um, tonight is all about that uncomfortable and unavoidable truth. Um, my wife and I like to uh, take a walk in the bush and usually in summer we try to get the grandparents to look after the kids and and uh, so we leave them there and we go away and it's a kind of an all-day affair. This one uh, recently um, we Up in the Kaimais here, we were staying down on Waihi for summer and we decided to go for a wander through the Kaimais and um, we just love it. Anyway, we got to the head of this track, we sort of figured out from this book that Deb's mum gave us from 1989, uh, that there was this track that went this way and I thought this is a mistake. Anyway, so we, we open this book and we find this track and we make our way up there and when we get to the start of the track, it was two tracks, Right. And we thought, this one's longer. But it had a sign right at the front. It said, this track has been damaged because of the recent storm. And there was a pretty big storm and trees had fallen over and all this sort of stuff. Though i give you this picture because that there was almost what the track was like. <laughs> it, was, it was chaos. You know, when you go on a formed track and you kind of see there's a nice gravel paths and there's some, you know, there's some rutted areas. Maybe they've put some steps in, maybe a little bit of planking. Nah. None of that. None of that. Um, I thought, let's go down that path. Um, I ignored all the warning signs, and uh, we headed off down that path. And about an hour into the to the walk, I I had this awkward feeling (laughs) that we'd made a big mistake. Um, You know, the the path wasn't really well, um, signed. you couldn't see a path. And actually, you had to go by those little triangles, right? And so those little triangles actually point in the direction of the next triangle. So you stand at that triangle and you can see the next one in the distance, get to that when you can see the next one in the distance. The problem is a couple of the trees that had those on it had fallen over. And so we got to one and on And then I did the you know, mental calculation that most guys probably do. I looked up at the sun um, and thought... Yeah, we've got about an hour of sunlight left. Um, we've only we've drunk most of our water. We're in summer clothes. I'm carrying a backpack with not much food left in it. You know, like I, I was worried. I was sitting in that place, going, "Woo, this is this is going to turn out bad." I'm here today, so you know the story ends well, right? But the reality is, uh, I, I tell you that because there was very clear warning signs right at the start of the trail. Very clear warning signs. Don't get down there. Because okay, that that trail, you're going to get lost. Okay. This trail here, and we thought, ah, that trail's too short. You know, We're tough. We'll do a longer trail. We should have gone on that trail. We eventually did get lost, and we, we found our way out of the bush. But um, the reality is that there was that moment where I realized I had made the wrong decision. And there's been a number of times, uh, I guess, on our journey in this series where uh, you just sat staring at the dilemma, um, this, this either or dilemma that Jesus uh, poses to the disciples and those that are listening. Um, I have to make a choice. There is no alternative. This is the way you're meant to go. And yet we still choose this way. I've had it so many times and I'm pretty sure you have as well. There's this profound and often blunt point in the Sermon on the Mount that says, this is what I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say this. You have experienced these things, but actually this is this is the path that I'm calling you to tread. Those are the signals that you are supposed to follow. And I think in this, this first um, these first few paragraphs that we're going to read tonight, I'm going to take it from the message version. You get this outline of what Jesus is trying to open up to his disciples. He's like, he's like a good communicator who at the end is trying to sum things up. You know, how many of you are doing uh, uni essays at the moment and you've got to get to that conclusion? These last four paragraphs are his conclusion to a Sermon on the Mount. And he, he, he puts in there the essence of what this message is all about. And uh, the essence, as I see it, of his message is that there are only two ways. There are only two ways. His way and the wrong way. Okay, So I've called tonight Two Ways. Um, We're going to be reading from um, Matthew 7. And we're looking at 16 verses, so it's slightly longer. But I'm going to be reading it from the message version. Um, before we jump in there, I, I want you to think about who his audience is. So there's, you know, he's standing on the mountain. There's a whole bunch of people who've come to listen to him, but there's also a bunch of Pharisees and teachers and others in there. And they're, they're, they're feeling pretty threatened by him because they've heard a little bit about Jesus. They've seen some of the things that he's been doing. They've heard some of the things he's been saying. They want to keep up with the play of what he's doing. And so they're sitting there listening with ears, critical ears, to what he is about to say. Um, this is the culmination in the heart of his teaching. So they've been listening this whole time and they know it's coming to the end. So follow along with me on the screen if you want, um, but you will probably get a little bit lost if you've got any other version of the Bible. I love how um, uh, Eugene Peterson, in the message takes the words and makes them creatively come to life for us uh, in, in this narrative. All right, so I'm going to be reading from verses 13 through to 29, but I'm going to be reading from the message version. So it reads like this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. What an opening sentence. In your NIV version, it might say the narrow gate. This is, this is that passage, okay? Enter through the narrow gate because broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction. Verse 15, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off in some way or other. (laughs) Don't be impressed with their charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook, your wallet. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned there's a reason why when i get up to preach i'm a little nervous (laughs) these are pretty humbling words verse 21 knowing the correct password saying master master for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me says jesus what is required is serious obedience doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important You don't impress me one bit, you're out of here. That's your part. That's your part. Verse 24, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to the standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build life on. If you work these words into your life, You were like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, It collapsed like a house of cards. I'm going to pause there and just point out three quick things. Chopped down and burned was in the first paragraph. You're out of here in the second paragraph. And in the third, it collapsed like a house of cards. There is this repetition that's going on. There is two ways, God's way and the other way. And then it finishes When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They'd never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite the contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Let's pray. Lord, we wrestle with these words because they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable for me as someone trying to bring this word with a sense of honesty and integrity, Lord. Lord, they are made to make us uncomfortable, to make us turn towards the loving God who wishes to lead us to life, who didn't give us a word to give us lots of knowledge and to fill our ears and make us happy about being together. He gave us these words to live by, And to act upon and to do. And it scares us, Lord. And so we ask, Father, that by your spirit you would come and you would guide our hearts as we reflect together tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, When I was over in Aussie uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I noticed something very strange about their highways. How many of you go to Aussie regularly? Andrew does. Yeah, a few others. On their highways, they have these big signs every about 5K that says there's a speed camera area coming up. What? Why do you do that? Like there wasn't a speed camera for the last 5K. So for the last 5Ks, you can do what you want, but for the next 5Ks, you have to behave yourself because there's a speed camera. All right? I find that bizarre. Um, but then in New Zealand, we kind of have this unofficial speed camera sign, right? How many of you do it? I know you do it. You flick your lights, right? Yeah. And then there's those classic old mates who flick their lights all the time just to make you go slow, right? Yeah. Uh, some of you have got fancy, I heard about this at Young Adults the other night, fancy $1,200 radar detectors, but apparently they still get tickets. <laughs> um, I'm laughing because I got a ticket uh, last week. <laughs> As I was driving through the metropolis of Topoi uh, on my way over to Hamilton, and I didn't realize it, they should have had a sign up somewhere. But maybe the Australians are onto something, right? <laughs> they, <laughs> but the thing for me is that it actually, it actually makes sense here a little bit of Jesus' words, that these warning signs, their, their markers are there, they're clear, all the way through this sermon. The threat, the dangers, the, the cost. Uh, I remember one of the signs that we went past. You know, it, it talked about how you, you know the astronomical cost. It had dollar signs, and then it had a picture of a wallet. Maybe that was for the for the Asian uh, persuasion people who are driving. Just you know, let you know you're going to get charged money. Um, it's it was so clear that you had two ways to respond, right? You either go slower, <laughs> or you get pinged. Now. There's this great, uh, there's a great author called John Stott, and he wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this. He says, It's a fact that revealed truth imposes a limitation on what Christians may believe and revealed goodness on how they may behave. I love that quote. You see, the Sermon on the Mount reveals that uncomfortable truth and, and God's goodness but not as we hoped it would be. And what I love about what what John Stott's saying here is that when we read Scripture, something should change. Something should change. We we I'm trying to think of a a way in which you know you read something and it doesn't. We've got warning signs on the motorway. We you know here's the instructions of how to use this thing. If I don't use it this way, these things happen. When we when we get to Scripture, some reason we don't think of it that way. And we, we think of it as, an, as a nice thing that's good for my life and, and for my spirituality and it'll help me understand something more about who Jesus is and what he does. But we don't actually imbibe it in a way that it imposes limitations on us sometimes. We take some of those things that are easy to live by. Yep, I'll, I'll take those things. I can put those into my life because I'm already kind of doing those things quite well. But these things over here... I might just leave those for now. We take some things and not other things. See, the right right side up way of living is a compelling vision worth giving your life to. And when I read the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's one of those things that we've got to live by. But for some reason, we see it as something that is optional. There are just two ways. Now, This is the first two ways that Jesus talks about. The narrow way and the broad way. In the NIV version, it says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. These words are too narrow for today's hearers. I think about Christianity in the public square today, and there is this this sense that it's, 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 it's intolerant. How dare you only give us two options? That seems bizarre, unfair. Two options? Well, of course we're going to choose the broad one because there's more options on that side, isn't there? The narrow one just limits so much about who we are. Surely there is a third way. Um, Surely being tolerant means that there's this this neutral group, this this middle way, another option. No, 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 no. There's not. There's only two. There's the narrow way or the broad way. I love it. Knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master. I love that piece. Throughout the centuries, there has been leaders and apostles who have wrestled with these same words the same way we are. And we can, I've used this word before, chronological snobbery, where we think, oh, life is so much harder living in this century, isn't it? There's this guy called John Chrysostom. Um, and he lived in the 3rd century. I'm going the wrong way, that way. He said, Christ's hard and narrow way is also to be welcomed as his easy yoke and light burden. You see, I talk about chronological snobbery because we think it's harder. Yeah, I think about the 3rd century when this guy is wrestling with the same passage that we are. Yeah, the plague... (laughs) Crucifixion. Uh, you know, we, we, we can get a little bit sort of sidetracked by the fact that he's saying this as being light and easy, but he doesn't mean it like you and I understand light and easy. He acknowledged that the hard and narrow way was something that we had to push ourselves into. I love, I love his, his thoughts around this. And I read a little bit about John Chrysostom, and he's, he's written tomes of stuff. He's one of what they call the church fathers, and there's three or four of them. And he's written on so many of the passages that we, we regularly preach, and he's wrestling with them the same way we are. This is hard. He didn't say the easy, narrow way. He says hard. It's something that will require effort, loyalty, commitment obedience to Jesus' way. There is this radical reorientation of our lives that's asked of us when we step into Christianity. It's not something that we just can float about with. Jesus is saying, this is hard. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. And I think we we can make it easy in our own minds. When we hear the gospel, that knowledge of the gospel, it transforms and that we're not living into that, does that not disturb us? I think we've heard that a little bit since we've been here. As we've explored um, the Sermon on the Mount over these last few weeks, there is this uncomfortable list of demands that are upon us. There is a a narrow path that we are called to encounter, and our culturally conditioned minds drive us in the opposite direction. I say love your enemies in a world full of deceit. Be the one that lives in integrity and honesty even when it means you lose or go without. That just doesn't fit well in our current context. You see, we have discovered in these words of Jesus a life-altering truth to look like the kingdom and to be like the kingdom, To to choose the narrow path to life. When what seems like the whole world is screaming at you to join the broad and easy way, we get these words. I'll throw a few things at you. When a business deal looks like it will massively benefit you, but absolutely decimate one of your rivals, choose the narrow path. That's what the sermon's telling us. When you become aware of, Abuse in a family or a friend's situation. What's what's the narrow path that Jesus is calling you to? When you've been wronged and your reputation has been marred, what's the narrow path? And see, when you're faced with choices that'll hurt others but benefits you, what's the narrow path? I'm pretty sure every single person in this room can answer me the right answer. We know what the narrow path is, and Jesus is calling us to that narrow path. But I hear some of you say, Rob, what about grace? Surely God knows that we're fallible. I mean, Ephesians 2, you know, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. I wonder, do you think Paul's words are contradicting Jesus here? Or do you think he's magnifying them? This is where I think we need to be reminded of the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. There's a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. What has cost God his son so that you and I can have eternal life doesn't mean we mess around with it and kick it about the place like some non-wanted gift. Grace calls us deeper when we truly understand it. I remember the first time I got to spend my hard-earned dollars uh, from my first job uh, on something that I got to choose My first job, get this, was working at Wendy's Old Fashioned Hamburgers when I was 16. I grilled those burgers like a boss uh, for a few years. Um, uh, I saw a pretty girl there working on the drive-through as well. I married her, uh, but that's a story for another time. But once I had earned that money, I realized that the actual cost of almost everything I had taken for granted came forth, right? Many of us who have got our first job and we had to hand over that cash that we spent 12 hours earning for a measly pair of shoes, uh, there is, there is an, there's an understanding of what things cost in our lives. And I think one of the things that we need to do with this idea of grace is to understand how much it costs God to purchase you back We've talked about people losing children today. Those who are parents in the room will understand that that pain, that thought of that and the pain of that. The thing about grace is that it's something that gives life new priorities when we truly understand it. It's the mystery of grace, as one person put it, only that it meets us where we are, yet doesn't leave us where it found us. What we receive in unmerited grace shouldn't create some sort of entitled response, but one of grateful and humble submission to the life that he calls us into. So Jesus moves from this uncomfortable truth about life on the narrow road by his unmerited grace. And he finally challenges the listeners about whom they follow and whom they allow to have their say in their spiritual journey. And he uses this metaphor of two different types of wisdom. I call it rock wisdom and sand wisdom. (laughs) Rock wisdom and sand wisdom. Verse 27, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're a stupid carpenter. That's about as straight up as you get. I want to ask you, whom are you following? And I'm not just talking about Instagram or, you know, the most famous Facebook person around or, you know, the person you follow on YouTube um, some famous cats on there making lots of money, but people who walk the journey of faith with you. Who are you following? Who are you allowing to speak into that space in your life? Because if you don't have anyone and you're not intentional about that, guess what happens? The broad and narrow way (laughs) start to separate. We allow whoever to speak into our life that we will these things are a problem and we need to face them. I'm talking about those whose, whose character teaching and whose walk with Jesus you can actually see, you can actually hear, you can actually admire. Are there people in your world that you know that you're allowing to speak into your world that have those traits? They're actually doing the word of God and it's building your house on a rock. Not because they're famous or popular, but because their lives align with Scripture. And because their lived words, their their being and their doing, they inspire you to do the same. Jesus' words are pretty clear. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. So I ask you, whom are you following? Whom are you allowing to shape your outlook on life because it actually doesn't happen by accident. Rock built living is intentional. Narrow path living is intentional. I invite the band to come and lead us. And as they come and as we come to this, the end of the series, I wanna challenge you to take a moment to still your heart before God. There is in the Sermon on the Mount so much that challenges us. And tonight I I really want to put it to you. Are you on the narrow path? Is your life being built by people whose life is built on a rock? Because Jesus is saying to all of us, "Uh, there's only one other way and it's not with me. I'm not here to a hellfire and brimstone story but these words might help you process as you take this moment there is no middle way there is no other gate there's no neutral group that you get to be a part of there's no third alternative there's with jesus and there is without jesus The Sermon on the Mount requires you to make that choice. Are you with Him and walking with Him or are you not?